0: the story of the Transfiguration. It's one of the really weird stories of Scripture. Uh, Jesus goes up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John to pray, and suddenly Moses and Elijah, two men long since gone, appear with him in the flesh talking with Jesus. And his clothes are turned into the most dazzling white, whiter than any human bleach or method could make them. And a cloud overshadows them, and as the disciples cower in fear, the Father speaks. This seems so distant from our everyday life. It seems so distant from the reality we experience. What are we supposed to do with this story? Well, I could preach as if it's an allegory about the mountaintop experiences of our lives and and then coming back down into the valley. But that kind of seems to do a disservice to the text. And I think the way that it's set apart from all the experiences is, is part of the beauty of this text. It sets the contrast of Jesus' life where here we see him in his glory, but frequently throughout his earthly ministry. Jesus' life is not this radiant, glory-filled life, but a life of simplicity and humility. A life that doesn't seem all that impressive. See, Jesus was an utterly simple man. He lived his life going around loving people, listening to people, talking to people, Caring about people, it was utterly simple. Anyone can do it, and yet we find it so challenging. But think about it. For the first 30 years of Jesus' life, he lived in his hometown, following his father Joseph's footsteps, going about his business, caring for his family. Nothing particularly extraordinary or remarkable even as he begins his ministry, he begins to walk from town to town in the small villages, staying in, in the back roads and backwoods in the far reaches of the empire. He's far away from the political center in Rome. And he preaches to crowds, to those in the house, to whoever's willing to listen. He sits down and has parties with anyone who wants to join him. Even as he performs miracles and miraculous signs. He repeatedly tells people not to let them know who he is or what he has done. And when those who have met him want to follow him, his warning immediately is, do you really want to follow me? I'm a vagabond. I'm I'm a homeless, jobless, wandering preacher. Nothing particularly extraordinary. Nothing particularly remarkable about his earthly life. It didn't seem all that glamorous. Just a simple man going about his business. And when we think about the saints of Christian history, maybe the first names that come to your mind are, are people like Luther, or Mother Teresa, or St. Francis of Assisi. But perhaps more importantly, when we think about the saints throughout history, the people we ought to think about are the people in the book of Acts, who are never named, or or the people who brought about this church, the people who came over to America, the people who have continued to hand down the faith generation to generation whose names are not known, not recorded, not the, the people of fame, but those who lived simple, regular lives just like you and me, walking about their business, seeking to glorify God in an utterly simple way. See, their their lives were often filled with persecution, with hiding, with hunger, with disease, with brokenness, with emptiness, with struggles and strife. Their lives were, were anything but what we would call glorious and glamorous. And yet they were the righteous people, lives that were unspectacular to the world around them. You see, that's the thing about an, righteous life, it often appears unspectacular. It doesn't necessarily get you power and fame or notoriety or riches. In fact, the righteous life frequently gets you taken advantage of, frequently leaves you abused, broken, hurt, because you seek to do the right thing instead of the easy thing. Even in the Old Testament, God warns that that his people who seek to follow his ways, who are righteous, will at times be persecuted and hurt. We hear it in the Psalms, How long, O Lord, will you keep your face from me until justice comes? Even when we hear about God's promised servant to come, we hear that he's going to be one who isn't admired, one who isn't looked upon favorably, one who is bruised and broken, who is despised and scorned even though he was righteous. Just listen to the words of Isaiah chapter 53. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Today's story just seems so out of place with so much of what we hear in Scripture. But it's here at the turning point of Mark's gospel in chapter 9, and the turning point of Jesus' ministry and life as he turns his face towards Jerusalem. Where his true glory will be revealed on a cross, that everything changes. See, we know from Luke's account of the Transfiguration that Moses and Elijah were there talking with Jesus about his coming suffering, about what was about to take place. His glory on the mountaintop foreshadowed his coming glory to be revealed. In all its fullness on another mountain, on a hill called Calvary, where God's true glory would be revealed in his suffering and in his death. And as Jesus comes down the mountain, he warns and tells Peter, James, and John not to let anyone know what they have seen or heard until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. But they don't get it, they don't understand it, it doesn't make sense. Because you can only understand Jesus and his ministry and what was going on through the lens of the cross. It only makes sense once it's all taken place. Only then is the veil removed so that we can see Jesus in all of his glory. It is only through the agony of his crucifixion that God's glory is revealed. Through the bitter anguish and suffering that we come to see the beauty and holiness of God's majesty in all of its fullness. Because the reality is that it is only through the cross that God's glory is truly unveiled, that the mystery hidden for ages is made known. See, the mystery where we see how our sin is covered and paid for in full by Jesus' death, in our place by his precious blood shed for us. It is there that we find the confidence, that we find an identity that cannot be shaken, that radiates God's glory. It is here at the cross where we see God's unyielding justice reconciled to his unfailing love and mercy, where they meet in perfect harmony in this beautifully horrific moment where the suffering servant takes on for us all the pain, all the judgment, all the anguish, and in return gives us his glory. See, in Second Corinthians, Paul says that as a servant of Christ, we are your servants. We, we have been changed into turning away from serving ourselves, and we begin to serve others. It's only in the freedom we find from trying to seek our own glory by seeing Christ's glory poured out for us that we're changed, that we're able to let go of self-interest, and that we begin to shine God's glory, God's majesty into the world. And it's not a glory like Moses' veiled or hidden glory. No, as those who are being transformed into Christ-likeness. We shine Jesus' glory forevermore as those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. See, it's a little bit like what's happening outside today. See, the ground doesn't often shine. But when it's covered with water and ice, it reflects that glory. We are being covered in Christ's righteousness. And we shine his glory back out into the world. See, it's only as we experience that freedom in Christ that we can let go of our pride, of our prejudice, of our self-interest, as we see God's glory in Christ's passion and resurrection, as it wrecks and remakes us into his image through suffering, into greater glory, into his image. See, but all of this, it, it changes every moment of our lives. It changes everything for us. Because we no longer need to seek our own glory. We no longer need to to be about promoting ourselves. Instead, we have a glory in Christ that cannot be dimmed or hidden. It can no longer be veiled. But it shines for the whole world to see. And while the world may not always acknowledge it, We continue to shine out that truth. But how do we shine God's glory? We shine that by loving others, by serving others, by serving our neighbor and loving our neighbor. And while that does include the person that lives right next to us, I think it's more about the definition that Jesus gives. Who is your neighbor? It's whoever is in front of you. Whoever is there in that moment that we serve those people. Not because they deserve it, just as we did not deserve Jesus' love and service and his death in our place. But we serve and we love others because our Lord commanded it. And because we have seen his glory, his true glory in the suffering servant on the cross towards which we head in Lent and revealed and triumphed and vindicated in his glorious resurrection on Easter morning. Amen.